This is the Widescreen Podcast, show number 297. And if you've picked up on the fact that my voice sounds a little bit hoarse, uh, because a horse is a horse, of course, of course, you would be correct. And if you realize that this podcast is a little bit later than it normally is, you would also be correct. And there's a very good reason for that. After almost three years of successfully ducking it, COVID decided to stop by and say hello to the family. Oh, well, you know, what can you do? No clue. Well, I can't say it. I, I really don't know where I got it. At first, I thought it was my wife because she works for the school district. She works with a lot of kids. And, you know, it's it's September. Kids are all back in school. The little two-legged pathogens are going around spreading their diseases among the other kids. And then, you know, so the teachers and, and the faculty get it and they bring it home. And I thought that's what it was because my wife was sick with a sore throat and uh, laryngitis the week before. So I thought, oh, great. When it hits me, it's going to do what it does. And it's probably going to come down to bronchitis. You know, asthma. Bronchitis loves me, unfortunately. So the following week, I had really bad sinus congestion. Like, like I felt like I had concrete in my sinuses. Hardly got any sleep. But still, I thought nothing. It was just something that the wife brought home from school. Contacted my boss the next morning saying, I got no sleep last night. I'm calling off. And he said, do you have a COVID test? I said, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll take one and give you a call back. Takes 20 minutes before it says you should check the results. I checked it at 15 and the two lines were there. The cursed double line was already there. And I thought, you've got to be freaking kidding me. So, yeah. So, basically all of last week, I mean, I'm... It didn't hit me as hard as it could have. I attribute that to being double vaxxed and double boosted. In fact, I've had colds that were worse than this. You know, I, I'm not going to use those of you who are going to try to justify it. See, it told you it's just a cold. You can't say that because who knows how it would have hit me if I wasn't vaxxed, especially having asthma. But the weird part was I figured, well, my wife must have brought it from school. We got no word from the school and she tested negative until two days later. So I really don't know. My second job is very public-facing. I could have gotten it that way. I could have gotten it from my trip to New York like two weekends before, but that's a hell of a long time for it to have sat there waiting to hit. So I don't think it was that. I, I just don't know. I don't know where I got it. Hell, I could have gotten it at the takeout restaurant I had for lunch the Tuesday of, of the week before. Who, who knows? I don't know. But yeah, so that basically took me out for a week. Couldn't, you know, my voice was, you think my voice is bad now if you can tell the difference? It was worse last week. And taking any kind of serious, in, you know, just, just inside inside breath, duh, you know, inward breath and cough fit. It's like, oh, hey, lungs are sensitive. Excuse to cough. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing a podcast under these circumstances. So there we go. But I, it, it only lasted maybe five or six days. But as anybody who might have had bronchitis or any other kind of lung condition might know, once the condition is done, the recovery could still take a week or two or three, depending on how bad it hit. Right now, I have a suspicion that it was enough to weaken my immune system so that bronchitis could come in and say, Hey, we haven't seen you in a while. We're going to come to pay a visit. Thank you. Thank you so much for that prick. So, yeah, podcast is a bit late. Yeah, what can you do? Stuff happens. It, it's a reality anymore. And as I said, I'm glad that I'm vaxxed and boosted because, as far as I'm concerned, it would have been a lot worse if I wasn't. Anyway, lots of things to go over, and who knows how long before my voice goes out again. So let, let's just go to the, 
the stuff that I got here for this episode. The curse of the pluses continue. What the hell am I talking about? Epix is going to be rebranding itself as MGM Plus. Because, you know, all streaming services have to have a plus behind them now. So as part of their relaunch set for January, MGM Plus is going to be the new name for the current streaming company, Epix. Of course, you know, we've got Disney Plus, Discovery Plus, Paramount Plus, ESPN Plus, BET Plus. And this is just as annoying as people dropping vowels from their websites in Web 2.0 Plus. Oh, oh, and it's not done. It's not done. We're not finished here, folks. Lionsgate has decided to focus on splitting off its studio business and renames its Stars Play streaming platform as, you guessed it, Lionsgate Plus outside the U.S. And actually, now that I think about it, they probably should have already done. That change was supposed to happen on September 29th. Again, the stream is late thanks to COVID. So, you know. So, yes, now we're going to get, well, not we in the U.S., but outside the U.S., you now have Lionsgate Plus. Anyway. Anyway, starting in 2024, you might be losing Hulu. Might. Now, Hulu, as you might know, is actually joint-owned between Comcast and Disney. And even though Disney has really been operating it since 2019, Comcast still owns a section of it. And Disney's not going to be able to purchase their stake in uh, or from Comcast until 2024, the earliest. And when that option becomes available in 2024, Disney takes all of Hulu. Who knows what's going to happen? But one thing that is possible, they won't be getting rid of Hulu. But Hulu will become more, I guess you could say, adult-oriented. Uh, instead of having Pixar and so forth, which would end up going to Disney+, Plus, American Horror Story would stay on, on Hulu and things like that. But what they're also looking at doing, and this is actually a good idea, is reducing friction between the two in the sense of scheduling and timing so that if something really that you really want to see on Disney+, Plus is on, it's not going to compete with something that you might really want to see on Hulu. So basically, they'll make it a little bit easier if you want to watch the latest Star Wars series they're not going to show that at the same time as the latest series of Atlanta. But at the same time, who knows what they're going to do. So, well, you know, 2024, if you're a big Hulu fan, might want to keep an eye out on that. As longtime listeners know, the whole reason widescreen.org came to be in the first place, 25 plus years ago, is to explain the black bars on the top and bottom of movies back in the day when we had 4x3 TVs. I mean, you still see it to a smaller degree nowadays. But the bars aren't nearly as bad for really widescreen movies, which led into preservation because when you preserve the black bars, you're preserving the way that the movie was, was originally shown, which in itself moved into other forms of preservation. And one of the things that I have complained about many, many times is that things that were on uh, DVD and to a greater extent VHS, have, they've not been made available on Blu-ray in some cases. Some things that were made available on VHS have not been made available on disc at all. I've recently become a big fan of the 3D Film Archive because they undergo various restoration projects, usually on Kickstarter and so forth. And in this case, if you're a fan of old-time TV, in this case, the Abbott and Costello show, they are now in the process of restoring Season 2 from the original 35mm film. So as of right now, the Kickstarter project has $36,000 assigned to it, or pledged to it, uh, out of 31000 so it's going to go through. 
And if you want to get the entire Season 2 on DVD, it'll be a pledge of $30, or on Blu-ray, it'll be a pledge of $40. So if you're interested in old comedy TV shows or simply preservation of these shows in general, I'll have a link uh, in the show notes to the Kickstarter if you wish to join in on that. And if you're too young to know who Abbott and Costello are, make sure that you look up their Who's On First skit. It is an absolute comedy classic and pretty much the kind of humor that they do. Uh, also, when it comes to discs, I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Jurassic Park Dominion is scheduled for a 3D Blu-ray release. Random Space, which is the place where I got my <clears throat> region locked Spider-Man. Of course, that region lock has been broken. Apparently, they, they posted that the 3D version of Jurassic Park Dominion is going to be coming out. That supposedly is region free. And if you're interested in purchasing that, then I will have a link in the show notes. It's currently going for $36 US, which, all right, I mean, that's kind of what most 3D Blu-ray movies were anyway. And of course, also out, if you've been paying attention to this podcast, is the newly restored version of Star Trek The Motion Picture on both Blu-ray and Ultra HD. But since it came out, I found an article actually on the Academy's website talking about the kind of stuff that they did to restore this movie to the way that Robert Wise wanted it to be. So for a little history, unlike uh, the original Star Wars trilogy, <clears throat> Star Trek The Motion Picture is notorious for having been released unfinished. I mean, there, there have been lots of books and so forth written about the, the behind-the-scenes things that were going on and how production was rushed. And how even the when the DVD version of the director's edition was released many years ago, that still really wasn't what Robert Wise had completely meant it to be. And then on top of that, there have actually been multiple different cuts. Uh, for, for example, 83, Paramount decided to release an extended cut for TV, which added 13 minutes. But you know, it wasn't until 1999 that Robert Wise was given the opportunity to revisit the film and do the kinds of things that he wanted to do with it. Uh, and Robert Wise is saying how much he dis he was disappointed in the original release because it wasn't what he wanted. He didn't have enough time. I mean, principal photography finished in nineteen seventy nine or March of seventy nine. The release date was December seventh of that year. And if you've seen Star Trek the Motion Picture, you know the kinds of special effects that was done for that. So what happened was that even though Robert Wise was thrilled to have the director's edition done in two thousand one, it was done in standard def. So when Paramount then came back for the actual initial Blu-ray release of the motion picture, they went back to the original negative of the theatrical cut, which apparently made Robert Wise very frustrated um, because, you know, that was the version that he did not want. So David Fine, who was a producer who actually worked with Robert Wise, said that uh, Bob had to watch the theatrical version take prominence again. After all the work we did, meaning on the Director's Edition DVD, Audiences had to watch his assembly cut in HD and not his director, not his approved director's edition. But before Robert Wise's death in 2005, Fine promised his friend that he would find a way to do it right with the director's edition, and that's pretty much what we've got now. So not only did they completely redo all of the CGI work because, well, they kind of had to, but the 35mm film has been rescanned in 4K, and for the first time ever, according to this anyway, Original voice recordings of the cast, which Robert Wise directed during what's called automated dialogue replacement, have been unarchived and incorporated into the movie. So ADR is basically when 
you know, they, they do the film and they get the audio and they get the shot. The shot looks good. But then in post, they realize, oh, there was an airplane flying overhead or we've got some background noise. So they have to bring people back into a studio to redo just the dialogue and then try to incorporate the dialogue into the movie. You've all seen very badly done commercials and well, even movies that have that sort of thing. You know, somebody's voice suddenly gets really loud and clear when it was quieter and muffled on, you know, in the actual studio take or the actual, you know, on location take. But at least unlike what certain other directors have done, the limited edition complete adventure collector set includes the theatrical cut, the extended television cut, and the director's edition. Robert Wise might not think that's a good idea because obviously the theatrical and the extended edition are not his cuts but it's there so anyway yeah a lot of work went into that and like i said there are there are books completely written about all of the production crap that they went to to try to get star trek the motion picture done but it's nice to know that it is finally out in the way that robert wise intended it to be back in 1979 so no it's not the same as what lucas did thank you i've been saying for a long time there are, there are three main reasons why 3D TV failed. And at least now I know I am partially vindicated in that because George Cameron completely agrees with me. Regarding the Avatar re-released, he was asked about 3D and why it failed in the home, and he said, I know why all that failed because there was... What they did was they jumped into 3D trying to cash in the boom at theaters and treat it as a feature. So they did 3D, but they did it with glasses that needed to be recharged and all that. Whereas just over the horizon was glasses-free, large flat-screen TVs, which actually looked pretty good. And he's right. Well, he, he's, he's mostly right. Um, he's talking about the... I don't know that glasses-free 3D would have actually done anything because at the time, it was still very rudimentary. You had these sweet spots that you had to sit in at a specific angle from the TV in order to get the 3D. Eh, that might not have worked too well. But he is absolutely right when it comes to the way that the TV manufacturers jumped in on the active type of 3D glasses that had to be charged or have batteries on it. And when they first came out, they were $150 for a pair of frickin' glasses. Whereas, just wait another few months, and they would have at least had the passive ones available, where you don't need... You could, you could use the crappy glasses that you get in a 3D theater. <laughs> Not gonna lie, I've got a few of those that I brought home, and they work just fine on my TV. So that's one out of three, but it's nice to know that James Cameron has my back on that, at least. So, regarding the other two, if you're curious, it was because most theaters did not show movies in their proper brightness because xenon projector bulbs are expensive. The brighter you push them, the faster they burn out, the more money theaters are going to have to spend on bulbs. And because they're expensive, the theaters didn't want to do that, so they didn't bump up the brightness like James Cameron and other, you know, Hollywood the director said, you got to bump it up to prevent the headaches. Didn't do it. People got headaches. People blamed the 3D when actually it was the dimness of the projector bulb. And for me, the other reason why 3D died is because of the idiots in the studios who decided, well, like we have with Jurassic Park Dominion, hey, let's charge this ridiculous amount for the 3D Blu-ray, which also includes the 2D Blu-ray and the HD or the regular DVD version and probably a streaming code. Which is infuriating because the 3D Blu-ray spec means that it should have the 2D version as part of it. 
So you could, what you're supposed to be able to do is take a 3D disc, throw it into a 2D player, and it plays 2D. That's the way it's supposed to work. In fact, when you look at the directory structure for a 3D Blu-ray, it looks like a regular Blu-ray. All of the files are named the exact same way, except there's one additional file that includes the 3D offset for the other eye. That's it. You throw that disc in a 2D player, and what it's supposed to do is simply not know what the hell to do with that file, so it plays the 2D version. But the studios decided, hey, this is a way to artificially bump up the price by $10 by including an additional $2 in discs. So understandably, a lot of people, even those who had 3D TVs, are probably like, well, that movie doesn't really... And we don't want that. We don't need that one on 3D, so we'll just get the 2D version because it's $10 cheaper. So anyway, hopefully James Cameron will come around and, and he'll back me up in the other two, but probably not. I mean, honestly, 3D TV could come back, but it would have to be absolutely glasses-free with no or minimal sweet spots. That's really the only way at this point. Now, Cameron and Dolby were supposedly working on that up till I think it was two years ago. Uh, but I haven't heard anything since, so who knows what's going to happen. At the box office, Jurassic World Dominion has crossed the $1 billion mark. Billion, I mean, barely. We're talking like $1.001 billion, but still, it's crossed it. That puts it at a relatively distant number two behind Top Gun Maverick, which has brought in $1.47 billion worldwide. Jurassic World Dominion is the seventh universal title to reach one billion worldwide, the third in the Jurassic World franchise, who's, and, and the third in the Jurassic World franchise, whose total global box office now stands at $6.02 billion. As I mentioned in the last podcast, a very real possibility was that Cineworld would file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and it has. In fact, it did as I was making up the show notes. Now, again, for anyone who isn't familiar with how this works here in the States. Chapter 11 simply means bankruptcy protection. So they work with their creditors and their lenders to try to reset, you know, set things up and come up with a plan to basically get out of bankruptcy. If I said they were going under chapter seven bankruptcy, that's liquidation. That's a bad thing. So right now, Cineworld expects to emerge from chapter 11 in the first quarter of 2023. They expect business as usual with no interruption during this whole process, and they do plan on honoring customer membership programs such as Regal Unlimited or Regal Crown Club, as well as Cineworld Unlimited in the UK. And as for how this happened, you might think, oh, well, this was COVID. Well, kind of. Cineworld bought the Regal chain in uh, 2018 for a cost of $3.6 billion. That's a hell of a lot of debt to take on at once. Uh, and although they did pay down a little bit of that debt, COVID hit. So COVID, in addition to that, you know, billions of dollars in debt, really hurt uh, Cineworld a lot. Now they carry about $5 billion in debt. But again, they've been working with their lawyers and financial people and their debtors and so forth uh, to be able to come out of Chapter 11, hopefully the first quarter of 2023. Other things that are going on, uh, I've mentioned that there was a Blade reboot, which is uh, supposed to have a release date of November 3rd, November 3rd, 2023. A shooting was supposed to begin next month in Atlanta. However, director Bassam Tariq has left the project, although he's still going to be an executive producer. He's no longer going to be directing. Rumor has it that there were a lot of um, issues with its star, Maharshala Ali, I hope my brain and my mouth coordinated on that. 
And as of right now, there's no way to know if it's going to keep its release date. But of course, if it gets pushed back, I mean, really, is anybody going to be surprised? I won't. Uh, Paramount has officially announced that it has removed the untitled Star Trek movie from its December 2023 release date. This is not a surprise at all. Uh, the director, Adam Shackman, dropped out because he's going to be handling the Fantastic Four movie for Marvel. So this would have been the first Star Trek movie since 2016's Star Trek Beyond. Uh, as I previously had mentioned in an earlier podcast, this was supposed to be another movie in the Kelvin timeline, Chris Pine and the rest, but who knows what's going to happen to it now. Honestly, I'm kind of with Star Trek, at least the movies, um, like I am with Star Wars. Can we please get away from what we've had and kind of start with something new? New crew, new ship, new adventures. Ah, uh, well, what do I know? If you have not seen it yet, Marvel has released the first trailer for Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Uh, there's not much to be said, uh, at least in an audio-only podcast. So playing it would be mostly music, but I will have a link to it in the show notes. If you haven't seen it already, I mean, I think it's kind of odd that they've waited so long to show a trailer when it's going to be out on November 11th. But again, hey, what do I know? Did you know that there was a Tarzan movie in 2016? Yeah, not many people did. Uh, so Warner Brothers ended up taking a hit of about $40 million on that movie. But that doesn't mean that you won't see Tarzan again, because now Sony has bought up the rights to Tarzan. And they're seeking to do what they're calling a total reinvention of both the character and the intellectual property. So as of right now, no filmmaker, writer, or producer are attached. It's simply that Sony has purchased the rights. And they're looking for a top-down re-imaging for audiences in you know, the 21st century. Apparently Sony had no comment on this, so I don't know if this is rumor or not. But the problem is that the books, which were originally released back in the uh, 1912, I believe, are, you know, they've got ideas of colonialism, white saviorism, racial and gender stereotypes that were acceptable last century, but not so much now, hence why Sony is looking to completely redo everything. So anyway, nothing else to talk about, but if there is, of course, I will let you know. We are getting Deadpool 3. It has now been announced. It is set for September 6th, 2024, and in only their style... Ryan Reynolds and Hugh Jackman have announced that Wolverine is coming back. Hey, everyone. Uh, we're extremely sad to have missed D23, but we've been working very hard on the next Deadpool film for uh, a good long while now. I've had to really search my soul on this one. Uh, his first appearance in the MCU obviously needs to feel special. We need to stay true to the character, uh, find new depth, new motivation, meaning. Every Deadpool needs to stand out and stand apart. It's been an incredible challenge that has forced me to reach down deep inside. And I have nothing. Yeah, just completely empty up here and terrifying. But we did have one idea. Hey, Hugh, you want to play Wolverine one more time? Yeah, sure, Ryan. And, I... and of course, what this means is that the two of them are going to troll the hell out of us for the next two years, and I am so here for it. James Earl Jones is no longer going to be voicing Darth Vader. Now, keep in mind, I mean, he's 91 years old, so he has signed off on a company... Uh, 
in Ukraine, actually, to do artificial intelligence recreations of his voice using, well, his voice. So he has now, quote-unquote, stepped back from the role. And in fact, the Darth Vader voice that you heard in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series was done through AI. So according to this, it says that they use archival recordings and a proprietary AI, AI algorithm <laughs> to create new dialogue with the voices of performers from long ago. But Lucasfilm supervising sound editor Matthew Wood came out and said that this company also has this quote-unquote elusive human touch that makes all the difference over simply throwing it into an AI algorithm. So the last time that James Earl Jones actually did his voice for a movie or TV show was for The Rise of Skywalker. (laughs) But at that time, he was talking about how it was time for him voicing the character to come to an end. And that's when the idea for having some kind of artificial intelligence handle came up. So he has signed off on using all of his archival voice recordings uh, to keep Vader alive and so forth. Which means, when it comes to the voice, he's more machine now than man. Well, hey, you know, it, it works with the character. There is another movie in the Cloverfield franchise coming out. Uh, Wounds director Babak Anvari, hope I pronounced that properly, has been tapped to be the director for this one. It's currently in development. Now, they're saying it's at Paramount Pictures, so I'm assuming that's going to be theatrical. It could always go to streaming, but it's going to be the fourth film in the franchise. Obviously, Cloverfield, 2008, was the first. 10 Cloverfield Lane, 2016, followed that. And the uh, Cloverfield Paradox, which really didn't do all that well, uh, was on Netflix on two, in 2018. But again, this, this doesn't give any indication of where it's going to go, so I figured I'd cover it anyway. And of course, I'll let you know as I find out more. There's also going to be a sequel to Final Destination, another sequel to Final Destination. So the directors for Final Destination 6 have been found. It's Zach Lepofsky and Adam B. Stein, who are the filmmaking, filmmaking team known for the 2018 thriller Freaks. Craig Perry, the original franchise producer, is, well, producing. And of course, plot de- details are just, they're not saying a damn thing. But if you're not familiar with Final Destination, the whole idea behind it is a character has a premonition of a horrific and deadly event, cheats his or her own death, and saves several other lives in the process, only to have death come for the survivors one by one. Uh, let's see, Russia is going to boycott the 2013 Oscars. No one is surprised. Next story. In fairness, I feel bad for the filmmakers. They're not the ones responsible for what's going on over there. In fact, the decision by the Russian Academy to boycott the Oscars came as a surprise to, I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Pavel Chukrai, apologies, uh, who's the head of the local Oscar committee over there, saying that the decision was made behind his back. Uh, He has since resigned. Now, I probably should have included this one when we were talking more about box office stuff, but in a surprise move over Labor Day weekend here in the States, The Cinema Foundation had a $3 movie ticket price in any format, including IMAX. So it was a September 3rd promotion, and it resulted in 8.2 million tickets being sold at over 3,000 theaters across the U.S., which was basically the biggest day of 2022 with respect to the number of tickets sold. And it brought in up to six times as much as the preceding Friday. But here's the thing. There were no tent poles playing. Uh, I mean, Top Gun Maverick probably was still in some theaters. But what was also crazy is that there was no advertising for it 
until the week of the promotion because they didn't want it to eat in the previous weekend's profits. Apparently, it, because it was so, it worked so well. I mean, hardly any promotion suddenly three dollar movie tickets, uh, which is something that I've been saying needs to be done for a long time, especially to try to get indies a bit more exposure. But apparently, Studio Insiders are expecting an encore on this. So, I mean, the hope right now is that it's done so well that it's going to become an annual, maybe even semi-annual event. So, obviously, if it happens again, it's probably going to be another. Hey, they're going to announce it the weekend before or, or the week before so just keep your eyes out chances are <laughs> at the rate that i've been doing this podcast monthly now i probably won't be able to tell you by the time it finally happens universal has announced that there's going to be a new un- american pie movie a universal pie american pie movie it's going to be written and directed by sujata day uh, plot details have yet to be revealed, but the story is based on her original pitch and is being described as a fresh take. The original 1995 film grossed more than $235 million worldwide, spawned three sequels with its core cast. Nothing else to go on, so uh, next topic. This is in the rumor category, but apparently Marvel Studios is going to be taking its Armor Wars, uh, which was supposed to be a Disney Plus series, and it's going to be redeveloped for the big screen. So, sources say that the studio was committed to telling the story the right way and realized that a feature was better suited for the project. Like all Marvel, Marvel, God damn it, John. Like all Marvel movies, Armor Wars is intended now for a theatrical release. So, there are no directors officially attached, and it's unclear where it's exactly going to fit in Marvel's timeline. But earlier last month at D23, uh, Don Shadle joined uh, Kevin Feige on stage, claiming or revealing a logo for what was then going to be touted as a six-episode event series. This is kind of the release of what they've done before, because Hawkeye was supposed to be its own movie, and then that turned into a limited series. And, I mean, to date, all of Marvel's movies have been released in theaters, so it's unlikely that if this actually becomes a movie, that it will stay on Disney+. Plus. But of course, just a rumor, so if I find anything else out, I will let you know, of course. A couple of things coming up here for those uh, those of you who love your horror movies or thriller. Warner Brothers is going to develop another installment of the supernatural thriller Constantine. And yes, they are, re-team- they are re-teaming Keanu Reeves and director Francis Lawrence for the project. So the original one did $230 million worldwide, a uh, $100 million budget, so you know what, it, it was okay. Uh, in that regard, don't know why it's taken them 17 years to make a sequel, but Keanu Reeves will reprise his role as a supernatural exorcist and demonologist who, in the original, is dying but stays around to save his soul by keeping demons from hell from breaching Earth. He also gets between a battle between the Archangel Gabriel and Lucifer. No word on anything released state-wise or production-wise, but of course I will let you know. If you're familiar with the horror video game Five Nights at Freddy's, uh, I'm pretty sure I've mentioned that that's going to be made into a movie. Well, they now have a director, Emma Tammy, who made her directory, her, her, God almighty, her directorial debut with the horror western The Wind is set to direct. It's currently in pre-production, and they're expecting principal photography to start early next year. Jim Henson's Creature Shop is already working alongside Bloomhouse to bring the animatronic characters to life. So if you didn't know what this game is about, it is a horror game, very much a horror game. I will not play it. 
about a security guard who works at Freddy Fazbear's Pizza Joint, basically Chuck E. Cheese. But, of course, he's working overnight, and the animatronic characters all come to life. So the idea is to try to survive by looking at various camera angles, because when the camera is on the creatures, they can't move. But, of course, you can't be looking all the places that you need to at the same time, and they know you're there, and they're coming to get you. Oh, hell no. This one is in the rumor category as well. Apparently, the new take that that a lot of uh, people have been waiting for regarding Nosferatu is gaining momentum. Sources say that Bill Skarsgård is attached to play the character with Lily Rose Depp in talks to co-star. So this is supposed to be a new re-imaging. Uh, Nosferatu is the gothic tale of obsession between a haunted young woman in the 19th, in 19th century Germany and the ancient Transylvanian vampire who stalks her, bringing untold horror with him. Focus, uh, Focus Features had no comment on this. So if it does come to fruition, you'll find out here. And until then, you might want to check out the original Nosferatu, which was released, well, 100 years ago, 1922. And finally, for the horror category, 1978 horror film Magic is going to be remade, and it's going to be directed by Sam Raimi. The original film, directed by Richard Attenborough, stars Anthony Hopkins and Anne Margaret, and told the story of a ventriloquist whose murderous dummy tries to destroy his love life. It was, a, it was an okay success. Its budget was only $7 million. It grossed $24 million. Again, this was 1978. And has since gone on to earn a cult status over the years. And, and what's crazy is the movie came out in 1978. I still remember the trailer. It freaked me out that much. I still remember the trailer. Anyway, no writer has been announced. Uh, no potential actors for it. So... Anyway, there you go, and I will let you know as soon as I find out more, because that's that's kind of what I do. That's my job. Why should I even say that? I seem to say that as a conclusion to pretty much most of these articles, and I really don't need to do that, do I? The Netflix sequel for Beverly Hills Cop, simply called Beverly Hills Cop Axel Foley, is still going on, and you, you want a, a real hit of nostalgia? I love Beverly Hills Cop. That was a great movie. Even the... Uh, you got to watch it with 80s glasses, okay? But this next movie is going to be hitting hard in the nostalgia because all of the surviving cast members from the original franchise are coming back, including Judge Reinhold, John Ashton, Paul Reiser, and Bronson Pinchot. So right now there is no, again, this is going to be on Netflix, there's no release date. Uh, the log line is under wraps, so we don't have a story behind it. Uh, all we have is that the original Beverly Hills Cops movies, uh, 84, 87, and 94, all combined to bring in $616 million worldwide. And, I mean, I can say without any reservations whatsoever, the original was the best. If you haven't seen it yet, you really should. It's a great movie. Again, just for certain scenes, you just need to put 80s glasses on. And this one is TV-related, but it doesn't matter. Sci-fi fans are probably going to go ape. I almost flubbed that one. I try to keep a family-friendly family, family friendly podcast for whatever reason. I've, it's been this way for years, so I just try to keep it that way. But one of the greatest science fiction TV shows is coming back sometime next year. There is a new Babylon 5 project coming out, and it's going to completely involve J. Michael Straczynski, the original creator. He said it's going to debut at the 2023 San Diego Comic-Con. 
says it's the closest thing to the original B5 in tone of anything we've done since, as if no time has passed at all. Now, this project is separate from the one going on at the CW. They've got their own reboot of Babylon 5 going on, which apparently is stuck in development hell. Uh, for now, this, this new one remains a closely guarded secret. There have been very few clues as to what it's going to be about. Back in March of 2021, Straczynski put out a request to Twitter for anyone who worked on the special effects for the original show and still might have some of the CGI files to get in touch with him. And with respect to the cast, Straczynski has said that all of the surviving actors from the main cast will be included. When further pressed on that, he then uh, was keen to emphasize that all means all. So I'm sure Babylon 5 fans are going to be very thrilled to hear this. I'm not going to be able to say anything else about that. You're just going to have to wait until San Diego Comic-Con 2023. Of course, there are some obituaries to go over since the last podcast. French New Wave film director Jean-Luc Godard has died. He was a highly acclaimed director, especially back in the 1960s with movies such as Breathless, Le Mépris, starring Brigitte, Bar Brigitte Bardot, uh, Le Petit Soldat, which was banned until 1963, and then earned a little bit of a renaissance in 2001 with In Praise of Love, uh, as well as Film Socialisme, I hope I pronounced that properly, in 2010. So he's won Berlin's Golden Bear. He's won the Golden Lion at Venice. Uh, he also won the Palme d'Or at Cannes. Though interestingly, in 2010, he won an Academy, an honorary Academy Award, but skipped the ceremony. And when asked what the war, what the award meant to him, as a longtime critic of Hollywood, he replied with nothing. <laughs> if the Academy likes to do it, let them do it. But I think it's strange. I asked myself, which of my films have they seen? Do they actually know my films? The award is called the Governor's Award. Does that mean that Schwarzenegger gives me the award? <laughs> but even if you haven't seen any of his movies, I'm sure that you've heard his name, especially here, because I've mentioned him before. Uh, Godard was 91. Someone who you might not know by name, but I'm sure that you recognize his face. Henry Silva has died. Just to give you an indication of how prolific he is, if you go to his Wikipedia page and you look at his selected filmography not total just selected filmography there are at least 60 different entries there so his very distinctive face often led to his being typecasted as the heavy usually the bad guy in over 130 movie and tv roles including the bravados cinderfella uh, sharky's machine cannibal run to dick tracy above the law the hills run red the italian connection but he's probably best known for his role in The Manchurian Candidate, uh, where he played a houseboy who doubled as a communist spy and got to fight Frank Sinatra in the role. But if you're an 80s child like me, then you also probably know him as the original Kane in the pilot for Buck Rogers in the 25th Century. And those of you who are 90s kids probably know him best as the voice of Bane in Batman the Animated Series, Superman the Animated Series, and the new Batman Adventures. Incredibly prolific career, very recognizable actor, Henry Silva was 95. And finally, Louise Fletcher, who is probably best known as one of the most reviled characters in movie history, playing the nurse from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, has died. Her role in 1974's Thieves Like Us uh, by Robert Altman Caught the, direct, caught the eye of director Milos Forman, 
uh, who decided he wanted her for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Of course, after that, after, after the role was rejected by Anne Bancroft, Angela Lansbury, Geraldine Page, and a number of others because they thought that the character was simply too evil or too impossibly wicked. So Fletcher finally got the part as the very bad nurse there, and she said that she knew her life had changed forever when she watched it with an audience for the first time and saw how people reacted to the scene in which McMurphy, which would be Jack Nicholson, tries to kill her character. She said it was in Chicago and it was a packed house. When he strangles her, the audience stood up and yelled and cheered. Stood up. It was unbelievable. I was thrilled. <laughs> she went on to win an Academy Award for that role. And that role is considered to be one of the 100 greatest villains in movies. Oh, this is according to a list in 2003 from the American Film Institute. Apparently, they placed her character, Nurse Ratchet, Nurse, COVID brain, Nurse Ratchet. <laughs> she was placed as number at the number five greatest villain behind Hannibal Lecter, Norman Bates, Darth Vader, and the Wicked Witch of the West. She also appeared in, in various other movies, including The Lady in Red, Firestarter, Flowers in the Attic, Mulholland Falls. And those of us who were Star Trek fans will also know her for yet another reviled character that we loved to hate. She played religious leader Kai Win Adami on Deep Space Nine. And when she got killed in the last episode, spoiler alert, yeah, wanted to, to get up and cheer for that, too. Louise Fletcher died at the age of 88. You might have heard that Woody Allen has said that he plans to retire from filmmaking after his next movie. In an interview with Spanish newspaper La Vanguardia, he said, My idea in principle is not to make more movies and focus on writing. This would happen after his 50th and final film, which is filming in France later this year. So even though he's got a, a huge number of movies that he's released, he's seen his popularity wane uh, in the last few years because of the Me Too movement, as well as resurfaced allegations of sexual abuse from his daughter, Dylan Farrow. But hold on! Hold on! He says he's not retiring! The day after that whole thing spread across the internet, he said that he never said he was retiring, nor did he say he was writing another novel. He said he was thinking about not making films, as making films that go straight or very quickly to streaming platforms is not so enjoyable for him. Uh, he is a great lover of the cinema experience. Uh, currently, he has no intention of retiring and is very excited to be in Paris shooting his new movie, which will be his 50th. Apparently, the, his whole statement about my idea in principle is not to make more movies and focus on writing is what started to confuse people. But he did say back in June that he plans to direct one or two more films, but also said that the thrill is gone because of the decline of the theatrical experience. So anyway, in case you saw also the big kerfuffle about how, oh my god, it's going to be his last movie, just wanted to give you some clarification there. I probably should have included this article when I was talking about Armor Wars before, uh, being what was supposed to be a series that is suddenly being made into a movie and it's going to be shown theatrically. HBO Max has decided that the latest Magic Mike movie is now no longer going to be on HBO Max. It's going to go theatrical. So the movie was originally conceived, oh my God, conceived by Steven Soderbergh to be a prequel on HBO Max. It's now going to be hitting theaters February 10th of 2023. And there's also going to be a window between the theatrical release and HBO Max. It's not going to be day and date between the two. 
Now, I mean, keep in mind, the original Magic Mike uh, came out in, what was that, 2012? It had a $7 million budget and made $167 million worldwide. The sequel had a budget of about $15 million and made almost $120 million worldwide. So, all things considered, I guess it's really not surprising that they decided, hey, you know what? The other two did really well in the theaters. Let's push number three to the theaters, too. I mentioned in a previous podcast that Gran Turismo, which is the racing game franchise from Sony, is being made into a movie. The latest news is that Orlando Bloom, yes, Legolas, I know, he's been he's done in more than just Legolas, but he's now part of the movie. So the script, uh, which is being directed by Neil Blomkamp, is actually based on a true story. The project is being described as the ultimate wish-fulfillment tale of a teenage Gran Turismo player whose gaming skills won him a series of Nissan competitions to become an actual professional race car driver. So according to this, uh, Bloom will be playing a hungry marketing exec who is selling the sport of motor racing. Okay, well, shooting has already started in Europe. The movie is set for an August 11th, 2023 release. Also from Sony, they've released a number of different release dates. Uh... <laughs> There's going to be another Karate Kid movie. Not kidding. Uh, this is going to be apparently a direct sequel to the others. June 7th, 2024. An untitled True Haunting movie. January 6th, 2023. Uh, Missing, which is the next installment in the Searching franchise. February 4th, 2023. Craven the Hunter is moving from October 6th to... Sorry, it's moving from January 13th of next year to October 6th of next year. Madame Webb, which of course is uh, Spider-Man related, that's moving from October 6th of uh, 2023 to February 16th of 2024. The Garfield movie, which we've talked about in previous iterations, uh, is moving from February 16th of 2024 to May 24th. And an untitled Sony Marvel Universe movie, um, clearly going to be Spider-Man related one way or another, is being pushed from June 7th, 2024 to July 12th of 2024. Here is something that I'm not surprised at, but at the same time, quite surprised at. Apparently, Netflix has actually made a deal with all three of the big theater chains to release the Knives Out sequel, Glass Onion, theatrically. Now, I mean, Cinemark has already been showing Netflix movies. This is not really unusual. But AMC and Cineworld are now both on board with this. AMC boss Adam Aaron has said uh, that they cracked the code, as he says, to working together, while Cineworld CEO Mookie Gretinger, Gretinger? sorry, is optimistic about greater things to come, according to this, saying, this experiment is a breakthrough for both the theatrical industry and Netflix and can pave the way for a stronger cooperation. Okay, yada, 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 yada. Now, it's going to be released on November 23rd. Uh, but here's the thing. It's not going to be a wide release. It's only going to be 600 theaters throughout the U.S. and Canada. There will be overseas markets, and I'll mention those later. But uh, just 600 theaters in North America. So the terms are Knives Out 2 will play for one week from November 23rd to the 29th, then there's going to be a blackout period before it finally hits Netflix on December 23rd. So it's very possible that if it does really well, that it could be held over for the big change. I mean, that's, who knows, it might, it might not. 
But it would be kind of weird that if it's pulling in a lot of box office numbers, that suddenly the chains are like, nope, nope, finally, we're done, get rid of it. Although, supposedly, Netflix will not be reporting box office figures for it. Still, I mean, this is something that I've been saying needs to be done for a long time. Now, I don't know where the Stonewall was, whether it was Netflix not wanting to go to the theaters, or the theaters saying, no, we're not going to play your stuff. But considering how many people, especially here in the States, are getting tired of streaming fatigue, you know, well, if you want to watch this, you got to subscribe to this service. If you want to watch this, you have to subscribe to this service. If you want to watch this, you have to subscribe to this service. It makes sense for something like this, you know, for Netflix to say, look, there are people who are not going to subscribe to Netflix just to see this movie. So let's put it out theatrically and see what happens. So this is very cool. You know, I, I hope it works out well for them. Uh, Glass Onion will also play offshore in the UK, Ireland, Italy, Germany, Spain, Israel, Australia, and New Zealand. Disney has set some release dates uh, for some of their movies. Now, the big thing, though, is Rogue Squadron, which is the Star Wars movie that Patty Jenkins was supposed to do. It's been completely removed. Now, I talked before how Patty Jenkins was off the project because she couldn't agree probably with Kathleen Kennedy, as to what the story should be about. So, you know, creative differences, that whole kind of thing. But apparently the movie is still in development, so they've got nothing. So it's not surprising that that release date's been pulled. Uh, let's see, Taika Waititi's soccer comedy, uh, Next Goal Wins, is coming out on April 21st. A Haunted Mansion moves from March 10th to August 21st. Wish, which is Disney's animated movie, that's now going to be coming out on November 22nd, 2023. And there is a new Pixar title. Oh, there it is. It's called Elio. Elio? I don't know. Uh, and that's set for March 1st, 2024, which is good because, you know, the last few Pixar movies were pulled and went to Disney+. Plus. So hopefully they will commit to this theatrical date, and we'll see what happens with that. The live-action movie for Snow White is going theatrical. That's going to be March, March 22nd, 2024. Pixar's Inside Out 2 is dated for June 14th, 2024. And Mufasa the Lion King will open on July 5th, 2024, which, if I remember correctly, is a prequel to The Lion King. The Planet of the Apes reboot trilogy is done, but that doesn't mean they're done with Planet of the Apes. Yes, there is another one coming out. This one is going to be called Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. It's going to be directed by Wes Ball, and it is slated for... Well, all they're saying is a 2024 release, no specific date. The only other thing they're saying is that it picks up many years after War for the Planet of the Apes, which was the last movie from 2017. Otherwise, there's... um. Not a whole hell of a lot else to talk about on that one. If you don't know what Planet of the Apes is, yeah, I don't know what else to tell you. you. That's quite a rock you've been living under. Another movie with the whole HBO Max debacle that we've talked about before uh, that has been saved from the butcher block is Blue Beetle. That was also supposed to be an HBO Max original movie, but it's now been penned in for a theatrical release. So according to this, Blue Beetle would be the first Latinx-led DC Comics film with star... God, I'm going to butcher this. Uh, Zolo Maraduena. I hope I got that right. Playing the role of Jamie Rees, uh, who's the Blue Beetle. But Susan Sarandon, who plays the big baddie in the movie, said that the film was shot in Spanish and will feature English subtitles. Uh, she said on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, what's fabulous about it, it's the first Latinx hero that has his own movie. 
Even better, because his family is Mexican and all of the actors were Mexican or Mexican-American, and it's in Spanish, so it's subtitled. I'm, of course, the bad guy. I'm the white military-industrial complex, so I had a fabulous time, because there's nothing better than being bad. Well, I mean, we'll see how that goes, because, you know, there, there, there are certain segments of America where if they're not speaking English, they ain't going to read no subtitles. Of course, they probably wouldn't go to see this movie anyway. Anyway, Blue Beetles, the Blue Beetle comes to theaters on August 18th, 2023. And finally, uh, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I love behind-the-scenes stuff. I love seeing how movies are made, what needs to go into how they're... Well, hell, I mean, I've talked about you know knowing all of the stuff, all of the... Yeah, I almost said something knowing all the stuff that they had to go through for star trek the motion picture i love reading about that stuff i love learning about movie magic well one of the you probably wouldn't know his name uh but his name is john burton jr and he is the special effects god industry veteran been involved in a number of movies that have been acclaimed for their special effects but if you're like me and you're also into the behind-the-scenes stuff, you might not know his name, but I'm, I'm certain that as soon as you see him, you'll be like, yep, I know who he is. But one of the YouTube uh, series that I've quoted before on this podcast is VFX Artists React to Bad and Great CGI. And in this case, John Burton was actually a guest, and they took him to task on something. He was one of the VFX leads for one of the most notoriously bad CGI scenes in movie history, The Scorpion King from The Mummy Returns, and that awful Dwayne Johnson scene. So you also worked on The Second Mummy, and we have made a video about a particular shot in this movie before, but would you want to, you know, maybe talk about this one? Sure. Was. A dark day in my life. <laughs> when oh, no. I went on the internet, Google said, hey, check this out. Here's an interesting thing you might be interested in. The worst visual effect shot in the history of ever. And I'm like, but wait, that's the Scorpion King. And I'm like, should I watch that video? Well, I watched it, and I felt bad. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. But that wasn't you guys. Oh, wait, uh, you're not talking about our video? No, it was oh, people man. long before you guys oh, were, okay. were putting this out together. <laughs> no, yeah, see, those guys are the guys that inspired you to do what you did. The <laughs> <laughs> biggest thing about the Scorpion King in this movie is that we didn't have the reference that we needed. This isn't really an excuse, but it's an explanation of the way things work in movies sometimes, is that we asked for that, of course. We need a day with Dwayne Johnson to photograph his face in high detail and do all the stuff that you would do. Because he was busy with his incredible WWE career, that was not possible. We had him for, I think, three days maybe in Morocco to shoot his scenes. So when you guys did your deep fake, you had two hours of reference mm -hmm. that did okay. not exist yet because the Scorpion King came out after this. Right, of course, of course, we use that as training data right. for the, the deep right. fake. So in our case, what we would have used that for was all of the reference from three dimensions to be able to do an understanding of the model makers to make that face really perfect. So I'm not gonna play the whole thing, but I've actually suggested you watch the entire video. It's only about 20 minutes. And he covers a lot more than just that. 
One of the things that I found interesting is that he actually considers the movie Willow, which is one of my favorites, he says definitively that that movie was the first movie that introduced morphing as, you know, as good as it is. Would you say that Willow is essentially the birthplace of morphs? Absolutely it is. They're using live action stuff here. It's all live action. There's no CGI in this. It's before CGI is even happening. So this is all using digital compositing. They had never tried to do this before. And so they had to shoot it imagining how it would work. And so what they did is they built all these puppets and these intermediary puppets. And what they discovered was that if you use the intermediary puppets, they're false keyframes. They force you into a time where you hit a certain mark and it would bump. Oh, interesting. Okay. It would sort of go, okay, transition, bip, there's the ostrich, bip, there's the turtle, bip, there's the tiger. What they did is they took out the intermediary steps by running a spline through it and letting those images just be what they are in the intermediary stages. Mm -hmm. You have to line up the grid so they never look wanky, but... It made it smoother. It made it smoother. It made it a better transition. See, this is the stuff I love. Yeah, as a kid, I wouldn't have even thought of it as CGI because there was no such thing. Nowadays, you look at a movie like that and you think, oh, that was CGI. No, this was before CGI really had taken a foothold. I love that stuff. Anyway, I will have a link to that video in the show notes. You know that. I recommend you just watch it. Again, 20 minutes, and it might surprise you to learn how a lot of the stuff is done behind the scenes. So anyway, that's it. My, my COVID recovery body is telling me to stop and go to sleep, which is probably sound advice. So hey, to everyone who is here, thank you for coming by here and, and listening to me. Hopefully you're still awake. But if not, then I am very pleased to know that this podcast has helped to cure you of your insomnia. To my friends north of the border, I hope you have a good Thanksgiving. Or if that day has already passed, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And otherwise, I will do my best to not make this uh, make the next show take so long to do. And now that I, I'm in recovery phase, should be all right. Should be able to go back to normal now. If only my life could go back to normal so I could do a podcast at least twice a month like I would love to do. Anyway, you know the routine. Take care of yourself, take care of each other, and... Toodles! Oh, wow, that was awful. I am not going to try that one again. I can pray and trick with a double tongue But the only fool here is me I choose the way to go But the road won't set me free Cause I wish you'd see me, baby Save me, I'm going crazy Try to keep us free Keep us alive Tonight and there ain't no exception We shouldn't wait for nothing to wait for Love me in this fable, babe My heart is in your hand Our time is waiting right outside your door And maybe a better day this podcast is copyright 2022 and is released under the creative commons license some rights are reserved the widescreen podcast is a proud member of the blueberry network that's blueberry no ease.com 
Theme music is by Poets of the Fall and is used with permission. Please visit their website at poetsofthefall.com. Get vaccinated. Now. Just do it. This has been a widescreen.org production. And before we go, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that for the first time, I'm actually partnering with the folks at Digital Extremes who do Warframe to help them in their quest to conquer cancer. This is actually in support of the Princess Margaret Cancer Foundation up in Canada. And myself and other Warframe creators are working with them to try to raise money you know, in their quest to conquer cancer. Every single one of you listening knows someone who has been affected by cancer or you personally have been affected by cancer. I've lost friends. I've lost co-workers. Last year, my father-in-law died to cancer. So throughout October, various Warframe st streamers, myself included, uh, will be trying to raise money for, for the charity. We each have our various goals, and if you play Warframe, then you will also be able to win various uh, quantities of platinum, which is the in-game currency. And for me, I am also going to be giving away one of my special props. Well, it's going to be the only special prop that I'm going to make specifically for Quest to Conquer Cancer. Anyone who donates $25 or more will gain an entry to win my prop, which I will, uh, I'll pick the winner sometime in November. And it's going to be a special one-time prop that I'm making specifically for the Quest to Conquer Cancer. So even if you don't play Warframe, your help would be greatly appreciated. You can get more information at warframe.com slash QTCC, the Quest to Conquer Cancer. And you can donate through my Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash widescreenjohn. And again, a donation of $25 or more will gain you an entry to win my Quest to Conquer Cancer prop, which I'm still making. And of course, the legal mumbo-jumbo is that you will be responsible as the winner for paying any kind of importation duties if you live outside the U.S. And this contest is not officially uh, supported or sponsored by Digital Extremes. So again, for more information, you can go to warframe.com slash QTCC or help with donating through my channel at twitch.tv slash widescreenjohn.